This is Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. Season 3, Episode 3, March 21st, 2.30. Dropping science, picking it back up. My name's Tom Ewing, and I'm joined today in the studio by Pete Barron. Hello. Mark Sinker. Hello. And new to Lollards, Anna Fielding. Hello. Today we'll be discussing eyes, ghosts, notes, blue men. No. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Not the blue men. (laughs) And... Anything other, anything else, anything Anything else than blue men, anything other than blue men, (laughs) green men, that's okay, but not red men. So anyway, Tom, what have you, what have you got on your, um, on your list? Uh, I've got (coughs) my list. Yes. uh, Intro, Mm -hmm. Sorterello, which you've just heard. How's that going so far? That's gone. We've done that bit, I think. Excellent. um, Then there's a big blank space. And then at the end of the show, uh, if you sit through the next hour you'll be rewarded with an exclusive track from one of Britain's top pop bands so more details on that um, coming up that. Um, is there any way that our listeners can get in touch with us Tom while we're on air there certainly is uh, they, <laughs> they can use the magical device of Twitter wow um, uh, which is they can tweet if they use the hashtag lollards uh, and to do that you need to type in on your tweet the hash sign and then the word lollards and then magically when we search for the word lollards, we will see those tweets. You could actually probably just put in the word lollards since the, the Twitter isn't usually buzzing with individuals talking about lollards anyway. <coughs> but the, in case there is a history conference going on as we speak, yeah. The uh, the, the hash sign—that's the—that's the kind of square with two lines on it's, both sides. Yes. Mark, Mark, do you, it's what's the, the noughts and crosses board? Yeah. Why, why is it called a hash sign? Why isn't it called a noughts and crosses board? Well, I guess hash is shorter, but I don't know. <laughs> And it's, it's, it's hash, it's cross-hashed, isn't it? The Americans call it a pound sign, which always really confuses me. Oh, yeah, me. is that's it to do with... It's like hatching. Hatching is like crisscross shading, mm. and so it's it's hashed. And and French for hash um, with a steak is H-A-C. Well, hash. Yeah, hash. It's, it's also... Yeah. It looks like an H, which is what the French for hash, hash is. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like an... It's I mean, an italicised noughts and crosses board, anyway. can be, yeah. But the, you're right about the pound sign. That always... That really throws me. It's yes. Like, I want to pound them. Yeah, you... If you type a pound sign into Twitter, it breaks. <laughs> a real pound sign. Is it, well, it's not one of the things they have in the, in the, in the character set, is it? So, yeah, yeah, it's American. Anyway, Tom. Yes. <coughs> Eyes. We've all got them. Mm-hmm. Well, not quite everyone. No, no, actually, no. Be sensitive. Exactly. <laughs> yes. This is sort of, it's an Obama special. And, and let's, be, let's be fair, Tom. <laughs> people who haven't got eyes, radio is their medium. It is, yeah. So, particularly, <laughs> <laughs> those without eyes... Um, we apologise. Yeah, we apologise. Unless we salute you. Yes, yes it's great. It, it, We're doing it one now. Of those, one of those fish that evolves without eyes at the bottoms of the sea. That's a tweet, I think. <laughs> Feel one coming in. <laughs> Get this rubbish off the air. Pete, you've you've been, as I understand, accused of having the evil eye. I have, yes. Um, I, I I was in Prague about ten years ago, and a woman made a sign at me, and uh, my friend um, with with her hand again, sort of. Again, this like the saluting is not going to work very well on the radio, but kind of did a, a sort of a, I guess, a kind of fishy type um, shape in front of her. Anna or Mark, describe the signs Pete is making. So it's, it's kind of like, 
Well, it's uh, her hands up and there are two fingers raised. Yeah. <laughs> it, okay. It's sort of, uh, he's like he's making the sign of a cross, but it's more of an infinity shape or a sideways yeah. figure of eight. So I asked, the, I asked the, um, the, the man from the hostel who I was with at the time, said, was it, said she's making the evil eye of you. And I, why is that? And he said, well, you've got wonky eyes, which I do. Um, not quite as bad as Tom York, but still, you know, noticeable. And they don't, it's kind of more like Marty Feldman, but not as funny, my eyes. Um, and so, yeah, so, I, she, so she was basically protecting herself from me. Well, you know what it is as well? It's also because, I don't know if it's the same in Prague, but uh, throughout a lot of Greece and Turkey, people believe if you have blue eyes, which you have and Mark has, mine are green. Mm. So I think mine are actually quite greenish. But yeah, no, I think mine are green as well, but this is obviously we're in denial because we yeah. are witches. Mm, true. <laughs> and uh, apparently people with the fair of spectrum of eyes, shall we mm-hmm. say, um, are more likely to be people who pass on the evil eye. Right. It's not deliberate, doesn't no. mean you're evil per se, but you cause things to dry up by overpraising them and then looking at them funny. Well, and, and that, that may play, play into my eyes as well, because around my eyes, I was, I was saying earlier to my, my fellow guests that um, I have a, a millimetre of um, very dry skin, um, some say eczema. So my eyes are already making is my it, own self dry up. Is that due to looking at yourself in the mirror? Um, possibly, though if you want, we can come back to me looking at myself later because I've got a story about that. Uh, what, what, you can tell it now. Well, it's, it's because I, I do have these eyes um, which point in different directions. Um, and so I had a couple of eye operations as a child. It was basically, basically a squint. When I had the eye operation when I was sort of two and a half, three, um, they only give you a, a, a local anaesthetic when they give you this, the, the eye operation. So you're kind of half awake while you're doing it. I mean, not, not majorly. But I do dis- I distinctly remember. Because when you... Also, the other thing is because your eyes... You're born with your eyes the same size as they are when you grow up. So your optic nose has got a degree of slack to it. This is how they can do these eye operations when you're that young. Um, so I'm lying there, and they, they have one <laughs> yes, eye you're closed. Lying there, we yes. are aware of that. <laughs> and, and they said, so, so they, the, the way they do the operations, they they get the eye out and they rest it on your cheek to do a little bit of jiggery pokery at the back because they've got that, that slack. But they got so much slack, the the, the the ophthalmologist basically could pick it up, and he said to me, "You'll never be able to do this again. Pick one eye up, moved it over the bridge of my nose so it faced into the other eye, held up the um, held up the eyelid, and did that." And it was like looking into infinity. Actually, Ex- it was. Actually, it, was, it was like looking at your own eyes in the mirror. That's the bit that the people don't realise. It's, it's just like looking at your own eyes in the mirror. But, but no, it's different, because when you look at your own eyes in the mirror, you always have, if you are binocular... Which I'm not. ...then you have the choice of which eye you look at. Mm, true. So both of your eyes focus on this one and then that one. And But you can't, actually... No, I can't do that, because I've got... Both my eyes work separately. So they work separately. Yeah. So if you... you, could, you what happens with the two pictures that you see? Do they map onto each other or are they next to each other? I don't see, I only see one picture at a time. Oh, okay. So I, I, now I'm looking at you, my writer. This is really not working on the radio. <laughs> now I, also, also, one of my eyes is short sighted and one of my eyes is long sighted. So. Oh, right. So you could, you could probably get some sort of um, binocular thing there's in another dimension. There's a mid ground about here. If I, if, I, if, I, if I go boss side, there's mid ground about a metre away from my nose and just there. Okay. Enough of my eyes anyway. Do you have any eye stories to share with us, Mark? Well, the only one I could think of is that um, I still feel a sort of sense of loss and resentment that I became aware that I was very short-sighted when I was watching The Aristocrats, Aristocats, a famous cartoon film not by Disney, released, I think, in 1967 or 68. And my mum asked me afterwards if I'd enjoyed it, and I said, well, I did quite enjoy it, but it was all very blurry. I wish the focus had been better. And obviously she rushed me off to the optician straight away to discover that I was actually quite seriously short-sighted. And this is why I couldn't 
you know, spent most of my time looking out of the window in class mm. and whatever because stuff was going on that I couldn't really see. Um, and I was telling this story recently and it suddenly occurred to me that I've actually never seen the Aristocats in focus. You've, you've only seen the kind of ambient. <laughs> yeah, I've of. seen this sort of blurry one, which, I, which was terribly kind of romantic and interesting and whatever, but I, actually I would like to see it in... Uh, in its, it's, it's, it's a Disney film I've never seen. Yeah, is it a Disney film? Yes. Oh, it is. Yes. Oh, it is a Disney film. Oh, right. yeah. In fact, the fact there was, yeah, there is. It's one of the. I think it was planned while Disney was alive, but he died when it was being made. So I think it was the first one made after he died. Oh, um, okay. Is it? It's kind of the Edwin Drood of. In lots of ways. <laughs> in other ways, yeah, no. It has, less it has, so. Yes, it's it's Edwin Edwin Drood with a trad jazz band made up of all of cats, obviously. <laughs> as as the real Edwin Drood would have been. Had <laughs> Dickens finished, had he lived another have, seventy years. Have you seen it, John? <laughs> no, I've never seen it. Anna, have you seen? I saw it quite a while, um, years and years ago. We're looking into about twenty-five years. I, ago. I, think, I think it's your responsibility to conjure it all up well, for Mark. It's, so, it's yeah. very. It's. It's romantic, and the the sort of slinky white cat, who is the girl lead, uh, is always talking about gay purry. Yes, it's a, it's a pun. It's a pun. Yeah. It's a pun on the fact that... I remember it having a very similar animation style, I could be wrong, to Lady and the Tramp and the Rescuers. It's kind of yeah. that era of Yeah, it's that cartoons. late 60s. Late I've 60s. never seen those, and they don't have a jazz the, band. It's the romantic animal era Yes, work. absolutely, and and the romantic <laughs> and romantic animals are um you know the the, the idea of cats and, and dogs having a romantic life outside of their owners is was a very strong one I in think, the 60s. I think there's a scene, there's a spooky scene with eyes at some point where in, in on the, the Paris yeah on the in the Aristocats Aristocats um, where all the one of the cats who's a sort of um, middle class cat. Mm -hmm. is out in the streets and all the alley cats pop up and they're all basically little um uh oh, i can't think what the, i think the phrase is the name of the shape is ogival um it's, it's gestures just, on the radio again yeah, yeah. They're, they're little um <coughs> little heads with big yeah. big yellow eyes oh, and they yeah, all yeah, just yeah. sort yeah. of pop up and menace this character okay so was it was it sort of around the same time as top cat um, later, yeah. Um, in Top Cat's sort of early 60s, uh, 62, 63, because so, it's comes after Phil Silver. There's so, I mean, other notable eyes in films would, of course, um, include the eyeballs in um, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, which I think were, I found very scary as a child that when they pop up in the soup tureen. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and in Beetlejuice on the ends of the fingers. Yes, yeah. No, I, I, in that way. And, of course, and the more sort of spooky use of eyes, things like eyes of Laura Mars or the, the Oxide Twins. And the, eyes. The, the, man with, the man with the x-ray eyes. Ah, yes, X, the man with the x-ray eyes. X, yeah. Just in case you didn't know who he was, he's the guy whose name <laughs> begins with X and is dated. Begins and to have x-ray eyes. But, of course, the, probably the best sort of eye horror movie is Eyes Without a Face. Eyes Without a Face, yeah. So absolutely. I think now's probably a good time to play that record. Or it would be if it was playing. Hold on.
Eyes Without a Face there by the man Smash It's used to call Sir Billy a Meidel. Um It's not the only version of the song. No, um, while I was... Um, I, I thought, well, uh, this is a good song because it's called Eyes Without a Face. We're talking about eyes. He's um, uh, Billy... Idol. Seeing yes. Idol. <laughs> Billy Seeing Idol. And, uh, uh, but I thought, well, maybe there's some other versions of it. And I found a version by Paul Anker, of all people, and immediately, such is my um, prejudice against, uh, about how things work in the pop industry, that I immediately assumed, oh, I thought Billy Idol wrote this song, but clearly he didn't because Paul Anker sung it. So it must be a classic song that Billy Idol sang. And then obviously I looked a bit harder and found, no, it is indeed a Paul Anker version, cover version. A, a classic of, song that Billy Idol wrote. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge number of those, but I don't expect <laughs> that Paul Anker is going to be covering them. And Paul Anker's version is is very um, sensitive and with strings. and, and He kind of overdoes it, doesn't he? He, he, he almost overdoes it, I think. Um Oh, well, I thought that too until I found the Scooter version, which is obviously based on the Paul Anker version, when you, and overdoes it even more. When you came across the Scooter version, did you did you not instantly think, oh, it must have been written by Scooter? And... <laughs> no, oddly enough, the idea of a song it, written by I'm, Scooter means nothing. To it's, me. it's one of those songs where the, the sort of power of the central image of Eyes Without a Face, I'm not actually sure what the rest of it even says, or if it says anything. No, it says... Because I've always thought, it's he says... Uh, eyes without a face ain't no human race which is a kind of Billy Idol thing so yeah. but in fact if you listen to it he says um, got no human grace which is not a Billy Idol thing to mm. think or say 
Though, of course, in the, in the film Eyes Without a Face, uh, or Les Which Yeux I Sans he Visage. Well, yeah, <laughs> I know. Which is a terrific French horror movie, a, a spooky 1950s thing. Basically, um, a mad scientist goes around um, harvesting faces for his daughter, who's been in the car, disfigured in the car crash, finds a girl. So basically takes her face off but leaves her alive and she's in the basement. She comes out and she walks around for most of the film in this sort of ceramic mask with his eyes and the one bit near the end, the mask falls off and you see this quite poorly done but um, you know, sort of just load of sinew um, on the face. And it's a great image but not as romantic as Billy is trying to push there, I guess. Well, if, if the hypothesis that Billy had never seen it. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> but then Phantom of the Opera is supposed to be a big romantic wonderful love story and if you've seen the, have you seen the original silent film any of you the, yeah I've seen yeah. The, the, the very early one yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is lovely um, but still it's not romantic I mean it's not romantic it's a man I mean he does live in the sewer in yeah. the Paris sewer which you would have thought that all the perfume of all of the wherever could not actually get around the fact that his organ is in a sewer all the, perfume, <laughs> all the perfumes in Arabia <laughs> all our organs well, are in the sewer it, it was gay Paris gay yes. Paris so the perfume, maybe if you were an aristocrat. Perfume. Is, is I mean, there not the best, the best version? The best version of. I'm going to go over that. Pepe, the, Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, of course. Another great, great, great romantic, romantic animal. Cartoon yes. animal. Um, not Disney. No, not Disney. No, but probably an inspiration. He 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 doesn't mind bad smells. He'd like the Phantom. Of he isn't aware of bad smells. Oh, he isn't aware no. of bad smells. No, he, he's because a he's a skunk. So he's he's unaware that for the the because his rom- romantic life is somewhat contorted by the fact that he only falls in love with beautiful cats, yeah. even though he's a skunk. He's no sense of smell and no sense of what other animals have as well. Yeah, species. Um, and the cats uh, I mean, the, the don't se- really fall for him. The sexual politics of Warner Brother cartoons is quite interesting because there is, they, they do seem to be predicated an awful lot on interspecies romance because there's Elmer Fudd certainly is often attracted by Bugs Bunny when Bugs is dressed as a woman. Um, it does happen. Yes, um, I'm not sure if it's often, but, but it can. Yeah, yeah. when, when Bugs Bunny is dressed as a woman, yeah. Bugs Bunny isn't dressing as a female rabbit. He is. He is. He's a well, rabbit with a bow on his head. Of course he's a female rabbit. Well, it depends rabbit. what you if a, if a female rabbit has a huge burst and blonde hair, hmm. which, in fact, in species terms, mm. no, doesn't, not so much. No, they don't wear do dresses. Like and, of course, it's, it's <laughs> un- unclear what sex Bugs is anyway to start off with, apart from, you know, just, apart from the name yeah. Bugs. Yes, yes. And his voice. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so it's, 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 un- it's unclear in the sense of totally clear. Okay. But Pete only has one eye that works at times. So. Yes, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a pass. <laughs> Tom, have you got any tweets? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm just going to check out the uh, the Twitterverse and see what's what's going in. Well, we've got here's, here's a tweet. Okay. Um, it, I, it doesn't say it's the Lollards, but I think in a sense all tweets that come in during Lollards are for us. <laughs> yeah. Lollards. Uh, apologies to all Susans, but isn't Susan a funny name? Susan, 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 Susan. Try it. It's a hoot. We're mm. falling about laughing in here. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is Susan the funny name? No. 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 Band of Susans weren't funny either. Beast Watch. Oh. This is another tweet. Okay, yep. Beast Watch. One giraffe and one zebra. Ooh. In zoo. Yeah. Well, oh. Not yeah, quite well, so okay. surprising. <laughs> yes. As Beast On beast, telly. <laughs> presumably Beast Watch is a bit of a low end. This isn't like mysterious cat-like creature on Xbox. Have Giraffe we, in zoo. Have we had any tweets about um, <laughs> what we've been talking about? Uh, no, yeah, I'm sure. Um, oh, here we are. Lollards. Yes. Uh, are you saying that Disney was a furry? 
That, that we Walt Disney before anyone... Because uh, yes. <laughs> not, not a living member then. of the Disney film, might be. Nothing um, wrong with it. I don't, yes, not there's no the law, law against it. I don't, <laughs> think, I, don't think Walt, I don't think Walt was a It's society's crime, not ours. Yeah. I, well, I think, I think also he was, very, he was very keen on the... If there was um, romance between animals, between they, he kept them well within the species line, unlike the Warner Brothers ones. Unlike Warner Brothers. Who had, yeah. Kinky. And yes. they only really started doing that when he died. Um, anyway, I mean, the Jungle Book is still about a boy... There are no female animals in the Jungle Book. Uh, um, mm. There's no major animals. I'm not sure what sex car is, but there's no major... The car's a bloke. Baby. Yeah, the car is a bloke. I know, that was <laughs> a joke. <laughs> <laughs> the elephant. Yeah. Isn't there a female elephant? Dumbo, there's a troop I, of elements. Uh, elephants, elements, elephants, elephants. I think um, there's a female elephant. But Hathi is, is definitely male, because he's sort of um, yes. military. Yes. But there may well be, yeah. And uh, the, mon- the monkeys... There's lots of them, so perhaps there's. I think I think elephants brings us on to um, the conference you had this week. Oh, sorry. Uh, I suppose Baloo is actually dressed as a female gorilla, so it's not cross species except actually cross dressing. It's cross dressing. Cross dressing, but that's different. That's you know. It, it, it highlights the immense use of coconut shells in cross dressing <laughs> in all species. Yeah. yeah. If, exactly. Did Bugs Bunny ever use coconut shells? Oh yes. Oh, yeah, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on on Hawaii. And, and the hula hula. <laughs> on a hula hula skirt. Yes. It wore red feathers and a hula hula skirt. Um, yeah. So so you we were I'm, talking elephants earlier, weren't we? So yes, we were. And uh, uh, I'm going to a conference uh, next week, um, where I'll be making stuff up as I go along, much as here. Right. Um, it's the annual market researchers conference. Uh, last year, to mark this event, we did some some innovation, where we innovated live on air about pubs. And mm-hmm. you recall that. Um, Pubs with folding seats, tables with folding seats was the idea that uh, were it not for the credit crunch, all the major brewer companies would have instituted by now. Um, and this year there's, there's some uh, a, a particularly interesting looking talks. Right. Um, and I think I thought I'd, I'd mention a few cool. and, and see what you think. Well, it's kind of a listings thing as well for people. Yeah, it is there, a listing you know. thing. It's, it's, it's a, a, you know, these are the ones that I think you should... My, my own talk, uh, which will be on Tuesday, is called Social Media Lessons from the Mighty Tharg. Uh, that would be, uh, what can we learn from the editor of 2000 AD? Yes. Uh, I'm attempting to source a Tharg mask ah, okay. for it, yeah. uh, since obviously Tharg is real. So um, Who's paying for this conference? Uh, the taxpayer. <laughs> the, the market research bailout, which will be needed after. <laughs> sure. But these, these, other, these other conferences, these, these, other, these other talks. These other talks. Well, there's one called Flash Fiction for Researchers. What's flash fiction? Yeah, what is flash fiction? I know I won't know what flash fiction is because I've actually written the odd bit of flash fiction. It's essentially the shortest short story you can think of. Some people say under 60 words, some people say under 100, some people even go up to 200. But it's essentially a really tiny story. But all the characters (laughs) turn up. All t- hundreds and hundreds of characters turn up in those two hundred words, all at the same time. Absolutely, and dance about. <laughs> yeah. There's hordes of orangutans wearing <laughs> coconut shell bras. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, and not to be confused with slash fiction. No, slash fiction being the Captain Kirk going off with Spock thing. With they can. You could I mean, have slash slash fiction. In a well, sense, that, that's that not kind of really was slash slash fiction, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Captain slash Kirk. Fact. Slash slash. <laughs> Surely, it's, it's, flash fiction is kind of the first fiction that anyone writes, in that when you're six mm. or whatever, and you're, and you're, you know, it's like, oh, write a story. You tend to write Island of the Cannibals or whatever, where it's like... But and then I there think the cannibals. sexual element is possibly no, down no, 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 when no, you're no. six, but no, you no, 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 flash, no, flash fiction. No, flash fiction. No. <laughs> no. no, right, okay. I mean, kids' books are, are flash fiction in a lot of ways, I guess. Mm, although they tend to be longer, even, oh, even, really even, even picture books. I think the, the way I've always understood it is it's, it's almost... 
like doing a very close in camera shot of something uh, again gestures on the radio i'm making yeah. a lovely framing device with my yeah. hands but if you focus in very closely on someone's eye to stick with other topics then you, that fills the whole cinema screen so it's it's making that, yeah yeah making big things race. seem small small things seem big. so what would what, what would be would, the use in this situation yeah, I, I would imagine knowing now what it is that the use would be that you would get your respondents in your in your focus group to write some Flash fiction. Well, I mean, ad, maybe adverts are flash fiction, or some of them, mm. in that there's a little story told in a very small amount of time. I mean, it's not told in a number of words because adverts are mainly visual, sort of yeah. filmic narratives, but um, but they're still quite I, short, mostly. I mean, I think that probably what they're, they're, they're trying to do is they're trying to kind of, you know, you only have 100 words to write a story about a, um, <laughs> about a brand. Um, yeah. So, you know. Kind of try to express something, try to, to or, or about your feelings towards something. Right, but, and, uh, and as it's obviously it's marketing, so the idea of fiction is enormously yeah. important. It's inherent. <laughs> Actually, a good example that people might have seen would be um, in the Guardian Weekend magazine. They did those one million tiny plays about Britain. That's right. Yeah. Ah, that's did they actually do a million? No, no, I think they stopped at about fifty. If then, unless they're still going, but I don't think they are. I that was, I that, that would be quite a long time to be going on in the Guardian weekend. A million weekends is is a fair number of years. But I think as you'll as you'll find on uh, freakytrigger.co.uk, having ambition in a project doesn't mean you're never get, you're necessarily going to finish it. Yes, um, the there used to be a thing in the eighties called mini sagas, mm. which, which which this reminds me of, um, which was a fifty word story, and there was a book published of them. And it being the eighties, all of them were about nuclear war, or at least all the ones I can remember about nuclear war. It's like. I got a postcard from the future. I was very excited until I discovered it was charred and black and, and it said war. <laughs> <laughs> work on it, Tom, work on it. Not your area of market research. Mini Argus Argus would be. You can't get Mini Argus. <laughs> That's what George Monbiot is so upset about. Any more? Uh, yeah, I think there's another panel that sounds interesting is Never Mind Neuroscience, Look in the Effing Garage. Um, because it's a conference that grown ups can go to, the, the, the word isn't effing. Right, okay. Uh, what, what do we think? Never mind neuroscience. Look in the effing garage might be about. I think it's probably suggesting that for market research, rather than trying to work out how people's brains work, why not rob their house and find out what's in their house already? I think it's a push towards sociology and not psychology. So you're interpreting from stuff that's actually there, the stuff they have in their garage, rather than trying to see into their heads. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, since psychology is a pseudoscience at best. Um, so sociology is the queen of the science. Well, <laughs> but see, I don't think I don't think sociology makes any pretenses of being a science, whereas whereas psychology does, and I think that's that's the key point. And, and psychology, sociology actually does is is based on observable things that you can look at, whereas psychology is what's going on in people's bonces, and and that's. But a you lot can the, the the point of neuroscience is that you can now look at what's going on in people's bonces, and it's a lot of red and yellow. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, generally, Ooh. and it's a bit of green. When I have a yacht play, my head goes red. Yes, that's the new slogan. <laughs> <laughs> that's the new slogan. You can have that for free, yacht play. <laughs> No, well, surely they go purple. No, no, we, we didn't yeah. mention them. We didn't say their colour. We didn't say their name. No, true. <laughs> true. And uh, uh, <laughs> another <laughs> another session. In the room. Another yeah. session. <laughs> the thing. Well, it's funny you should mention elephant in the room. Elephant is the context of the room. Pete is is one uh, another talk. I, I yeah. Tend to attend. Um, I, this this makes all absolute sense. I mean, in the end, the whole thing about the elephant in the room is that there's a room that's big enough to get an elephant in it. I mean, you know, it, it tells you a lot about the room. Already. If it was a baby elephant, 
It wouldn't tell you that much. Yeah, if it was a tiny weenie elephant, that would be quite important to the nature of... Of the elephant. Of the elephant. Yeah, I mean... And the room. Well, no, not the room, because the room could still be really, really big enough to have a big elephant. The phrase is, though, that, you know, people are ignoring the elephant in the room. There's something really major that you missed out on, and that's that's what it means. I I do get confused between that and the blind blind men (laughs) and their elephants, but we won't go on to that. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, if it's a tiny elephant, then they're they're, they're right to ignore it. But otherwise, it's it's a big room. It's a big room. It smells of elephant dung. Um, elephant smell. I've I've ridden an elephant in my time, um, and they they smell, and you know they they are big and they no, make noise, and they're quite hard to ignore, especially. But if it's a really big room, then maybe you can. So so are we saying that if there's an elephant in your room, get a smaller room? Is that no, a business? No, advice? leave the room. The <laughs> elephant can't get out the door, probably. Unless you want the elephant there, get rid of the elephant. I think is the key point because you know it's it, as opposed to mice. The yeah, elephant, the elephant like, is an easier pest to deal with, I think. Move to another room, seems to me a much yeah. <laughs> no, simpler solution. It, it, it seems to me that um, the, elephant, the elephant in the room has, has become one of the more successful metaphors of our time. Because the first time I actually heard it, it, it comes, I think, from a poem about addiction or alcoholism written in the, in the 60s by a therapist. And, and that's where the, the, the idea was coined of, you know, there is an elephant in the room that we can't speak of. And it's, it's, it's the, you know, the other person's addiction. But it's it's kind of now it's become one of the most kind of virally successful metaphors of our era because I now hear it the whole bloody time. I still like the idea of the elephant in the room being with with the with the five blind men of Alabama called Mo looking yes. for it and <laughs> feeling it and touching it. But anyway, one more session or one more song. And let's have a song. Okay, um, I think this is going to be my song um, because we're still talking about eyes or that we've kind of gone off it now. Um, but this is yeah elephants. This is this is um, well. See if you recognise this. I thought that I had the world on the end of a string I thought that I was a millionaire Free as the dawn and then came the morning I turned and I saw you there And you smiled and you smiled with laughter in your eyes Then the world seemed to fade away And you smiled and you smiled and I was captured, don't you know I'd like to stay Now I've got something we're talking
So yeah, that was um, uh, And You Smiled, which you may recognise as uh, the eye-level theme, which was the theme to Vandervog, um, with Matt Monroe writing some, well, singing some ropey lyrics over the top of it, um, which has always amused me. That And it would be very puzzling, I think, if you yeah. actually had ever watched Vandervog, which was quite a sort of gritty and grim Dutch detective series in the mm. 70s. Yeah, it was it was all about dead prostitutes in the canal, basically week after week after week, and Matt yeah, that, doesn't seem to have got in the spirit of that so much. There are, I mean, there, I've, I've I've heard like um, vocal versions of say Star Wars theme where someone sung some lyrics over there. I mean, often they're kind of comedy songs because you can do that, but it is strange to come across a record that you're used. To. I mean, you you mentioned during the break there about the Mash one, um, and whilst that's in the film, it it is in the film, isn't it? The actual lyric vocal version. Uh, I'm yes, I think the song is in the film, but the the theme tune to the program yeah. is not quite the same. No, but but surely the canonic thing to do is just to sing the name of the of yeah. So Emmerdale Farm. Emmerdale Farm. <laughs> you hello, watching. Hello, 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 hello. Yeah, and uh, yeah. EastEnders. No, of course, Nick Dobson spoilt that one. Yes, yeah, spoilt it. Putting the, this, these non-canonical. Yes. Anyone can fall in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's nice. <laughs> I, 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 I <laughs> listen to that on it. But not non-canonical, Tom. Right. Canonical, like a cannon. Like a cannon. Like a. Uh, help, help me out. Help me out. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know where you're. I'm trying to do a link. You've got a link in. I'm trying to do a link. Yes. Canon. Almerick. By. I thought. I thought of a great link. What was that? Sorry. I'm trying to be a bit too radio. What am I trying to link to? Okay. What do you want it, me to link to? Uh, the ghost. The ghost, yeah. Well, my link wasn't to the ghost. <laughs> oh, okay, what was your link? Okay. It was a great my, link. My link was, I'll tell you what's eye level, the Google Street View camera. Oh, yes. Yes. But then that would involve us having to talk about Google no, Street No, let's View. talk about ghosts. Ghosts. Well, the, the Google Street level thing does go into mm. it quite nicely because one of the really um, most MR Jamesy ideas that, could, that Google could come up with Actually, no, I can immediately think of several others. But is the idea that when you're looking through these pictures, you see a house in a street, which for some reason seems interesting or familiar, but actually when you go to the street, it's not there. Or it's different. Or it's different, and it hasn't been a house like that for 40 the, years. Because the, the M.R. James story that we discussed um, a couple of weeks ago on Freaky Trigger, the, the mezzotint, has, uh, is about a house, a picture of a house, and then the action in the picture changes over time. And of course you could quite, without any spectral involvement at all, you could imagine a story being played out on individual bits of Google Street View. There's almost certainly a film being done that way at the moment. Flash film. Actually, I mean, the, 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 the sort of Google Earth is used in Crank <laughs> as a cheap way of getting from, from place to place. But that's awesome film. I'm pretty new to M.R. James. Could one of you tell me a bit about him? Um, well, he was a um, a, a don. <laughs> he was yeah. a don, yes, and and he wrote ghost stories as a pastime. He was a historian and an antiquarian and an expert in um, books before they sort of become books as we now know them. So old uh, Bibles, missals, all, all kinds of texts, yeah, texts of various things, and it, and you know he was a world expert on this kind of thing. And uh, he's considered the inventor of the modern ghost story. And in fact, he's, he's almost certainly much better known in terms of being a ghost story writer now than for, for what he was actually 
paid yeah. and considered himself. And uh, he's my favourite ghost story writer to the extent that I've hardly ever bothered to read any other ghost stories by anyone else because I know they'll be rubbish. And uh, so the interesting thing about exploring this on Freaky Trigger has been that people have been saying things like, this story wasn't very good, which I don't. Under- <laughs> it's, it's a phrase I don't understand in the context that it's being used. I mean, we've we've done four stories on Freaky Trigger so far, which is Lost Hearts, uh, The Mezzantine, um, Ken Olmerich's Cam- scrapbook, and the one you did this week, which, which is called The Ash Tree. And they all, they all. I mean, like a lot of ghost stories, they all have a big bent about perception. We'll talk about eyes again, uh, about what you can see and things which are half seen. I mean, the the Mezzantine has. A picture that every time it's it's viewed changes slightly, and you see a a well, creature or something going into a house, and then something horrible happening. You have to imagine that in Canon Albrecht's scrapbook, there is the uh, well, you can describe as much. Well, can, in Canon Albrecht's scrapbook, a scholar who's, who's kind of on holiday really f- discovers a um, a book which is um, a collection of bits of really really ancient. Bibles and essays and things like that, which is in historical and museum terms a total treasure trove. And he really covets this thing and persuades, um, surprisingly easily, persuades the sacristan of the church where he is, which is in the south of France in the Pyrenees, to part with this thing. And we gradually sort of get the sense that all is not well because there's loads of weird noises and things going on around him. But he's so focused on this thing, which, and the sacristan says, you know, pay uh, 50 francs. And he says, but my dear man, it's worth much more than that because even though he wants it very badly, he can't quite believe he's getting it. So, But he gets it. But he gets it. He takes it home. He takes it home. And essentially it comes with a demon. And, um, and so the reveal is that well, he sees he sees this this, 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 this the, the big fudge in the stories. He, he's sitting there talking to himself out loud, and he says, uh, "It says, um, but what's that by my hand?" And he's saying he's saying this out loud in a way which is very unrealistic and weird. What's that by hand? Unless you're on the is, radio, of course. Which is, is it a pen wiper? No, no such thing in the house, or indeed in any other house <laughs> in the history. What is a pen wiper? It's a cloth. It's a cloth for writing a wiping a pen. Is it a pen wiper? Is it a a huge horrible spider? Goodness me, I hope not. No, it's a hand. It's a hand, like like a hand, a hideous hand in the picture in the book that I have just seen. He's saying this to himself, yeah, and somehow the fact that he's saying it, in one sense, it gets across the, someone's idea of something horrible gradually appearing to them. But on the other hand, it is a bit absurd because he is actually saying it out loud as he realises that there is a demon standing behind him with his hideous claw crooked over his head. I mean, it's all about wait, waiting. The demon is waiting for him to finish his soliloquy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What is it? I'm really scared. I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah. And this is all about things which you've half seen. I mean, those those half seen moments. Do you ever have those night terrors when you wake up and think that something is something else? Absolutely. Um, dressing gowns. Or I'm quite prone to nightmares and yeah. things. I quite frequently dream about the apocalypse because I'm a cheery soul. You, you grew up at the right time for. <laughs> yeah, it as I well. did grow yeah. up at the right time. 80s childhood and the right the place as well. So, you know. I was being rather mean to Wolverhampton. <laughs> sorry, <but> sorry. <laughs> anyone listening on the internet in the West Midlands? Right sorry, Wolverhampton. <laughs> no, it's completely apt. It's a hole. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so wait, as you can imagine, waking from the death and destruction of the world. Um, mm. And I live quite. Cl- I've got a cracking view of Canary Wharf right. from my bedroom window. 
um, and I woke up one night, having watched Doctor Who, had a big apocalyptic nightmare, and for some reason they must have been cleaning it or something, they turned loads of the lights <gasps> off and clearing off. So I kind of ran around the bedroom being all, we're all going to die, we're all going to die. <laughs> and, and my boyfriend wasn't in as well, so I was on my mm. own being convinced. And so then... were you saying this out loud? Or... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe so the story is much you. more realistic yeah. than we were thinking. Well, so this were you the... saying, what, what's that? <laughs> no lights on Canary Wharf. <laughs> no such <laughs> Building in <laughs> the Isle of Dogs. This is the thing because because it is <laughs> ghost stories are, are in a lot of ways predicated on the on the idea that we can we can understand what it's like to suddenly lose our faculties or lose the ability to reason, and it is the battle of reason between between reason I, and it's to do with senses and reason and whether reason is is able to coincide with the things you are seeing, mm. and I think the underlying thread in particularly in the James stories is is there's a um, a sort of evolving theology of the unseen mm. and in the stories we've read it, it's intersected with it a little bit that before the reformation ghosts were um, shadows sort of from the, the souls who were waiting in purgatory basically asking for intercession by the living to pray for them so that they could get into heaven or at least escape hell after the reformation the puritans didn't believe that that's what ghosts were at all because they didn't believe in, in purgatory mm that you went straight to hell or heaven so there was no reason so but the puritans thought that the the world was full of demons that most of us couldn't see and that if you were involved in magic or were very saintly you became aware of all these other beings that were around you and around us all the time kind of a sort of animist well, it sort that. of it sort of is. I mean, they 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 have a, a very sort of strict hierarchy of what demons are. And demons are fallen angels. They were cast out of heaven with Lucifer, so they are higher beings, but with very kind of distorted lower passions, really. Mm. And they're very clever, and they uh, play on our desires and feelings and fool us and get us into contracts with them, which where we get gold, but we pay with you know hideous torment for the rest, for of, the time. rest of our life yeah and um and then the subsequently the which is sort of moving more towards a, a modern aspect of it some of the later um protestant heretics regarded angels and devils as basically tricks of the mind or not tricks but aspects of the mind psychological things so that we would say the room is full of of other of demons and other mm. presences and angels as well because inside our heads there are our feelings which you know, the other people are unaware of, but but make a difference to how we're responding to things. Mm. So our strong feelings for or against things, the elephants in the room. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. In this room, there are at least four elephants because all of us have. Um, <laughs> so speak, speak for yourself, Mark. Thoughts, I've, I've been a thoughts in our recently. head that uh, that the others can't um, yeah can't react to. I mean, M.R. James himself, I mean, his, his, his style is very much about painting a very meticulously drawn picture of these areas, of, these, of, of his bits of France, of, his, of the mezzotint, of all those bits, and to try and make it as real to you as possible. It's, it's, it, it plays on the, on the ability of description to be very accurate, and then, of course, when he gets to the, to the supernatural, then he can fudge it, because that's the difference between being the, the perfect reportage and the, I'm not sure what that is. And that's where the fear comes. From. That's where I think a lot of the fear. And comes I, I from. think I think he's also playing on the fact that he's a, a specifically aware that we have 
irrational revulsion to particular kinds of physical things. So but he was scared he, of spiders. He was very scared of spiders, which not everyone is. But there's other aspects. I mean, one of the other stories has a kind of half-decayed skeleton walking around. And these are things... That's which, a bit more scary. Which, are, yeah, that people have... Um, don't have rational responses to that were a half-decayed skeleton to walk into the room... It isn't just the fact that this is a, an unexpected incident, but there's all sorts of other... No, it is pretty unexpected. <laughs> yes, but it's not just it, uh, the unexpected, because if a clown came in, that would be unexpected too, but it is not the same kind of response to it. Obviously, no. some people find clowns more scary than yeah, I would, It's interesting you should mention clowns, because something that strikes me about James is, um, is that the, there's this sort of the balance between reason and unreason and the, and the thing. The reason actually gets a reasonably fair shake in in James and you do often get people kind of like you know working out okay what are the rules of this particular haunting and this particular thing and and kind of incorporating it into their their their, their system of, of logic whereas in more modern ghosts and horror stories and I was thinking of Stephen King mm. um, there often isn't the sort of rules and logic particularly it's 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 reason reason is is, is seen as this kind of you know ultimately the, the characters who use reason or who try to reason it out are, are likely to get at yeah <laughs> I don't, well, I think that's 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 partially. The, I mean, there's partially a bit of class and a bit of a bit of uh, anti-intellectualism playing in there. But there's also the fact that it's scarier if there are no rules, and if you can work out the rules, then you can get away with it. So, since majority of people who read fiction think they're cleverer than the average person, or the majority of people who read think they're cleverer than the average person, they think it's not going to affect them. So, I think it's quite a Victorian concept as well. That idea of rationalism, and that at that point you could if you had a lot of time and money to devote to it, you could pretty much know everything that was known in the world, mm. whereas you, people, you're a lot more specialised now. So yeah. you, you have... But you can Google it now. <laughs> so maybe that's where the next generation of well, those I mean, there's, is there's, there is Well, I mean, there is a big suggestion that, um, that a, lot of the, a lot of the alterations on Wikipedia are actually done from beyond the grave. There is a big suggestion. There is now. That was a big suggestion. That was the big suggestion. I just made the big suggestion. I think we should probably jump onto a record. <laughs> we don't have to fall apart. We don't have to fight. We don't need to go to hell and back every night. I'm gonna get through. Baby. I'm gonna get through. Get 
So that's the uh, Pet Shop Boys featuring the West End Girls. With, well, the Pet Shop um, Boys have nothing to do with it, other, oh, they're not, than, other than writing the song. Okay. Um, well, that's quite a lot then. But It's the West End Girls featuring Magnus Carlsen, who ah. is a uh, Swedish rave singer. Oh, he's not the bloke they, from Lazy Town. Is it Count Magnus Carlsen? <laughs> Count, Count Magnus Carlsen, yeah. Um, they, they summoned him. Um, <laughs> In an M.R. James style. <laughs> like James a demon. Yeah. 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 Much like, no, to, uh, to do the dusty part. Ah, uh, okay. On that. Okay. <laughs> any, any, Dusty any... Springfield, not the dust <laughs> yeah. of the grave. No. Uh, I've been twitted by a ghost. Actually, oh yeah, <laughs> uh, doing this. Uh, who it's says? Quite modern for a ghost. Yeah, we'll have the last like to say they're doing Wikipedia and a tweeting there as well. It's exactly ghosts haunt the interweb. Uh, but yes, the, the ghost confirms that Wikipedia is is now thirty five percent written by the dead. Exactly, and that kind of that kind of statistic can only come from Wikipedia itself, really. Yes, that's it's, how reliable it's, it is. It's, it's on one of the secret pages that only ghosts can access. Um, and he also says, "Can you talk about sleeve notes now?" Ah, says this ghost. <laughs> They're often very prescient. For so yes, we can. I don't, know, I don't know how he crammed all that into one tweet. One hundred and forty parrots characters goes a long way. Yeah. Flash tweet in the afterlife. <laughs> well, no, of course, you, a, a tweet tweet sleeve notes might be the future because if people aren't getting physical um, CDs. They might want their sleeve notes in the sex of a, a version of the tweet. Ouija boards were kind of like the original Twitter. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> if only we thought of that link <laughs> earlier, that would have been... Oh, oh well. Never mind. Sleeve yes, notes. Sleeve notes. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the first things that we said when we were putting this show together is let's, let's bring in some music that has sleeve notes. You'll notice that we haven't done this at all. Well, you won't notice. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure on. the eye level might have one. He probably, he probably writes about... Oh, I thought I'd write some lyrics to that because it's great. But, um, Anna wanted to bring in, and we forbade her for reasons which will become clear in a minute but um, she wants to bring in Too Young to Die the Sletien Greatest Hits album which mm-hmm. has a good sleeve note and would you like to fantastic sleeve notes written by Julie Birchall and um, it, they, they, were sle- they were important to me when I bought it in about 95, 96 because I was still at the stage of analysing all of my CDs and trying to suck everything I could out from them as you do when you're a teenager so I think those sleeve notes not only sold me totally on Synthetian because they're actually on the back of the record mm-hmm. or as opposed to inside so you can read them in the shop they also sold me on Julie Birchall who I previously hated um, and they also got me into 60s Kitchen Sink at Cinema because she compares a lot of Synthetian songs to that which has been a, a love of mine and then I reached a real personal low point with those sleeve notes uh, in recent years when I, someone on an internet message board asked and said oh are they online anywhere? And I looked for them thinking, oh, some loser will have typed them out and put them online. Some loser? And Who uh, was that loser? What was the name at the end of that? The yeah, new loser's name was Anna Fielding oh. in the end, actually. Now, there's a coincidence <laughs> that two of you would like the lyrics so, uh, no, to do that so much. See, what I did was actually type them out out of frustration that they weren't on the internet, well, and I became that person. And did, did the person on the internet message board then go, oh, yeah, they're rubbish? They pointed out all the spelling mistakes, which was oh, okay. <laughs> excellent. All the typos. Oh, well, that's well, that's what you could do now. Um, so, why, why was that? Why would that be prescient, Tom? Uh, well, it, in fact, the the reason that I I said let's talk about sleeve notes is that I've been writing sleeve notes oh, for right. Sandetian. Oh, really? Um, my <laughs> sleeve notes will not be as good as Julie Birchill's. Uh, they, oh, well, <laughs> they're probably. Well, I don't know. I, I'm sure they won't inspire anyone to to type them out. Um, partly because we have scanners now. I don't know. Pass <laughs> uh, them over. But also because yeah. they're going to be. 2,000 words long um, and it's, it's for the reissue of Fox Base Alpha the first Sandetian album mm-hmm. and at the end of this show we will be playing an exclusive never before heard world premiere of a track from the bonus CD of Fox Base Alpha and it's been, it's been really I mean they're lovely people Sandetian so it's been a really sort of pleasure to do it but there's also a kind of 
the responsibility of writing sleeve notes, which I, it's the first sleeve mm. note writing job I've ever done. Um, the fact that nowadays anyone who does go and buy a CD um, is probably the kind of person who cares quite strongly about sleeve notes. I, I sort of I feel the pressure of the invisible audience, the kind of demons and angels in the room. Mm. Um, who should I get uh, the facts wrong? As undoubtedly I will, because facts are a huge strong point of mine. Uh, but the ghosts will always sort them out afterwards. Yeah, yeah they, they will. They, they they will will they they they'll some some ghosts will email me no doubt and sort of say you know were you even listening to the same album? Clearly that's a woodblock <laughs> or yes. or something. So it's been it's been a, a an intriguing job. Mark, you've brought some sleeve notes in. Well, I, I brought some in because I I thought in terms of of records of where the sleeve notes were quite important to me when I was young. And, I, it, I mean, they're, I say they're records, they're LPs. So um, they're not little booklets which are tucked away. They are things that you would see in the record shop. And um, I mean, what you just said is, I think, quite interesting. In this, I think there's a significant change in who is likely to read things and, and what their attitude is that I think the readers of sleeve notes, whether they were kind of high-end sleeve notes or or pop sleeve notes would have been much more um, impressionable and open to uh, to any rubbish that was put in their head, frankly. There wasn't this great armature of things that you had to correct It stuff. wasn't a fact-based well, it was thing. People, and, and, people and didn't it, have the NME and stuff like that, so they could read well, sleeve I mean, notes did that job. Yeah, I mean, one of these is actually a bit post-NME, but it, it's not NME-type stuff. We've, and uh, We've got time for a, a sentence or two from... I'll read that. Well, I'll read the, the the very strange one. Then this is Cecil Taylor's sleeve notes for his own record, and they are kind of nerds. Uh, then off into night's third arch, a world of recovery paranoid participle prison vision like Verity slash about love between in inverse commas ages. The opposites that grew to draw found naked statues in attenuated sadness running across blackened lakes, shutter birds, directionless weather vane, your eyes closed, filling us with pain. Flash fiction there from Cecil Taylor. <laughs> um, and now St Etienne's yes. Chase HQ. Um, for copyright reasons, we are going to talk over the record um, briefly. Yeah, that's the reason. Not Tough luck. Run out of time. Tough luck, bootleggers. <laughs> You'll have to buy the CD to hear. Well, unless they're bootleggers of us, uh, in which case they've hit hit it lucky because well, it's hit us yeah. talking over the record. Jackpot. And also, you will be able to listen to this, this. On, again on freakytrigger.co.uk. The podcast yes. will probably be up on Monday. It will. Um, this particular record is an imaginary soundtrack for a computer game. Um, which Netian were playing in the studio when they made Fox Space Alpha. So there we are. There's a Netian fact. Did the, been... did the computer game not have a soundtrack? Well, That's it was quite it unusual. Was, it might have been rubbish. I think they, probably the kind of bleeps. This uh, is the soundtrack they would have liked if yeah. they'd been better at the computer game. Yes, if they'd managed to get past <laughs> the intro, the, yeah. the training level. <laughs> anyway, you've you been listening to yes. Brief Trigger and the Lollards of Pop, uh, Pete Barron, Mark Sinker, Anna Fielding, and I'm Tom Ewing. Bye. Um, bye. bye, thank you for your tweets. And uh, Steve Hewitt is here next week. Steve Hewitt is here next week uh, with more Lollards. Yes. <laughs>